fascinated, intrigued, and honored by what you've done. What they said you did, but they are magnificent, marvelous. You need to know that you're okay just the way you are. More succeeded now as a child. What you've been through matters. This podcast is designed for you. Love on a mission in a world where human experience is lacking. My name is Ginger Wilk, and we're here to talk about that which matters. Welcome to That Which Matters. We're excited to be here today to talk about relational success patterns. This is the second part. So I encourage you to listen to the first part uh, to talk a lot about what relationships are supposed to look like, the healthy ones, what are some of the elements of the unhealthy relationships, what you should do to really raise the bar in your own selection of finding a partner and also being in a successful relationship. And I mentioned in the first section that I've been married for 35 years and just along with being part of the social service field, the pastoral care field, seeing people professionally, knowing people personally, but also my marriage has been a real learning uh, situation for me to understand what it means to have to play out, you know, a relationship that has its ups and its downs. I mean, we've been through many, many things in our time of being married and being together. There are definitely going to be experiences that make you think this is just not going to last. I don't know how we're going to get past this. I don't know how we're going to be able to bounce back from this situation. But it's amazing how resilient humans are, but also how resilient a marriage and a committed relationship can be if it's healthy enough and if you're committed enough to want to make it last. And so there are many, many things that we can talk about and I will cover today to kind of help you launch in this area because that's a hot topic. We, we all want to know more about relationships. We want our present one to be better uh, we want, if we're single, we want to find a person that's going to fit the profile of what we're looking for. Uh, we want to help our friends fix their relationships. It's always something that is talked about. We love to watch the movies. We love to read the stories about love. And it's interesting how God uses that example of, you know, Christ. He says Christ is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. And I think it's very interesting that God uses that in Scripture because what it really means is that in our understanding of what real love, exciting love, committed love looks like is a perfect human example of how God feels about us. And so it's a real important thing. And we have, my husband and I have done weddings, you know, uh, we've performed the ceremonies for weddings and it's always exciting to stand there and to allow two people that really love one another that we believe are meant to be together because we're picky about, you know, who we've married in the past. We're not just going to marry anybody. We want to know that they really have a divine connection and that they're committed to be together and to know that and to stand there is such a beautiful and holy thing uh, to be able to declare that over them. And um, a, a wedding, everybody loves going to weddings, right? But a wedding is actually a really good time that people reflect on their own relationships. The audience, the guests of a wedding, get an opportunity to do some inventory in their own lives. If they're married, it's a way for them to remember when they got married, what they were like, how they've kind of veered off the path, 
how they've grown. Uh, it helps to remind them of the whole reason why they were together. It helps to have them take a look at maybe some things that they need to tweak or to change. If someone is single, it makes them have an inventory about, could I be standing up there with this person? Do I see myself standing up at the end of this altar as a male or coming down the aisle as a female? Can I picture this? Um, and, and if not, then maybe I need to make some changes or maybe we need to make some changes. But it really allows the guests to kind of think about that. And the people that are in the bridal party, I always mention this when I'm doing some counseling with the couples is, I tell them, you know, when you pick people to stand up at your wedding, don't just pick, you know, I know this guy from, you know, he was in a fraternity and she was someone I knew from high school. Don't just pick people because you know them. What you should do is pick people to stand up at the wedding that are going to be committed to this marriage, not to you as a person, male or female, but to this marriage, somebody that believes in the marriage, somebody that knows you as a couple, somebody that's going to be there when you guys are going through a rough time to pray you through, to talk you through, to help you through. That's what people standing up as ushers and bridesmaids and maids of honor and best man and all that, that's what they're there for. They're not just there to look pretty and handsome. They're there to stand up and declare that I am standing on behalf of this couple. And so for those of you that are invited to be that bridesmaid or that groomsman or whatever, you should believe in the couple that you're standing up for because it's a really serious thing. And then at the end of the weddings, you know, usually people will pick a standard kind of, if it's a Christian ceremony, a standard uh, thing that is spoken at the end. And it says, therefore, what God puts together, let no man separate. And that's right out of scripture. And I'm telling you, when I've said that before, when we've said it, sometimes we say it together. It is just chilling sometimes kind of the power that comes from those words. Because I will tell you this, there are people that God puts together. And then there are just some people who just decide to be together. And I know for me, I want to be with a person that God puts me with, right? And so that's why that scripture is so important and why a wedding is so important when you know that because you're saying, therefore, what God puts together, let no man separate because God has put them together. Let nobody separate. And believe me, you will have people that will try to separate you. You will have people that will try to come in the middle. And it doesn't just mean because someone is tempting one or the other to cheat on them at all. It could be anything. Somebody that comes in and says something negative to you about your husband or your wife or somebody who just spreads a rumor or um, just causes confusion. The really good, healthy couples are going to go through some of that because there just seems to be a, a real attack against some of those really good relationships. So you're going to need to stand strong in that. So it's real important that you are in a place and understanding what it means to be married. It's not just about the beautiful flowers and the venue and all of that. All of that is wonderful and all of that is really, really good. But most importantly, to, to take a hold of the real purpose and making sure that is this the person that I want to be in this ceremony with and declare to the world or all the guests that this is the one that I've chosen? Or am I just doing this because I just want to have a wedding or I just want to have someone in my life? And there's no judgment if that's the way you're feeling. 
But I am going to tell you that it's really important that you know the difference and that you make a qualified decision from there. So one of the things that I will tell you is that um, each relationship, I truly believe, has a DNA to it. And um, what's important about a DNA is it's, you know, an identity, really. If you think about it, it's an identity. And so the relationships that I believe are really divinely put together are relationships that have a DNA. And what that means is, what is your vision for your relationship? And I, when I ask couples that in premarital counseling, they don't really know what I'm getting at. They might say, oh, well, we want to buy a home and we want to have children. All of that is good. All of that is beautiful. Or they'll say, we want to grow old together. That's great. As long as you stay together and you don't get divorced, then you can do that without any effort at all because eventually you're just going to grow old in the same household. But what is your vision for your relationship? And and I really am in, encourage them to take a look at their own goals and desires and dreams, where they connect. What is it about this couple that's going to be impactful? Because a really powerful couple is a couple that's not just about themselves. It's not just about them being together and going on date nights and having children. A really impactful couple is going to have a life that matters in the community, in their neighborhood, in their church, in their families. When people think about that couple, they're gonna, something's going to come to mind when they think about that couple, something that's very, very good. And so some of the things that I've seen has been things like, um, well, mine, for instance, my marriage was always based around outreach. We did a lot of stuff in the churches. We would go into the parks. We would go into the projects. We would go into the prisons. We would go on missions trips wherever we saw that there was a need of some sort. Um, as we really felt like we were supposed to do it, we would jump into action. And it was a very natural connection for us to work together. We just knew how to work together. And it was something that we really loved when we first uh, got married not long after we started running a youth group in in Harlem. I think I mentioned that in my first episode, but we would go in and we would work with these kids and have them play basketball, and then we would just meet with them and just talk to them about life, and we would do you know some Bible studies with them. But we would drive home from New York City every Monday night after we ran youth group and we would talk nonstop about these kids. Did you see what this one said or heard or, you know, what they, how they acted, what they uh, reacted to when we mentioned a certain scripture or a certain promise or things like that? We were so excited. It was like they were our own children and we were just relishing in all the wonderful things that they did. And it brought a lot of life into our marriage. And I'm making it sound like it's in the past. We still do things. But back then, that was the beginning. It wasn't about just, well, what are we going to have for dinner? Or, you know, what, are, what treasures are we going to put in our house? It was real outreach that we were doing. And that has been our DNA. I've seen couples that their DNA has been kind of like that couple in the neighborhood, that all the kids go to their house for popsicles or Sunday dinner or you know, to swim in their pool or to just be in their yard or to play basketball or whatever, that they become those parents to all the kids around, even though they might have their own parents as well. But there's something about their home that is inviting, that shows other kids in the neighborhood that this is a place where they can feel like they belong, that that couple just brings a belongingness. Other people have had 
like a passion for charities where together they've been so passionate about wanting to give to different charities and things so they think about what they can do. What can we do next? Let's do the water system in Africa um, that needs repairing in this one particular mission or orphanage or whatever, or they're constantly wanting to sow money into different places. and They, they may not go places, but it's a passion of theirs to be able to do that. Other people might have like a fostering kind of DNA to them. They, they foster children and maybe it's official. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just that they've had, you know, relatives that have struggled. So they've taken nieces and nephews and different ones into their home. And they just know that they're that, that home and that family that our love is just enormous and it just, it increases. And so, um, there should be some DNA in that relationship. And so when you're looking for a relationship or being in one right now, you should try to discover what that is so that you're not just, again, it's getting away from looking for this warm body, right? That's not a relationship. That's a hookup, right? Let's just be real. There's a big difference between the two. Do you want a hookup? That's a separate thing. If you want a relationship, then you need to look for one that you can have a shared vision and where you both can have a passion that's going to impact the community and the world and those around you. And I often say, too, that besides all of that, you should be thinking about the fact that when you're in a relationship, it's like running a business sometimes, which I know doesn't sound very romantic, but it is like running a business because you're running a household. So you have to ask yourself, okay, well, that guy that I'm dating right now, that girl that I'm dating right now, would I run a business with them? Like if we just opened up a restaurant or a, you know, a store or something, would they be trustworthy enough? Would they be somebody that I would trust the whole business with them to do the accounting or to do whatever the sales? Or do I hesitate when I think about that concept? Because if you hesitate, then that means that you're probably going to not be happy with the way they run a household with you. Um, because that's what another thing that marriage really is, is that there's a lot of business. Sometimes it's about you're coordinating schedules, uh, you're coordinating meals, you're coordinating snacks, you're, you know, paying the bills. Like you, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that goes along with marriage that, you know, isn't, doesn't make the movies. So let's be honest about that. So you want to look for somebody who you know is going to be trustworthy in that manner. Um, somebody who has the same type of focus as you do in life. And then that DNA, um, which is really going to come from your shared passions. And I also want to encourage if you already are married or you already are in a committed relationship to kind of let's go back and take a look at what our DNA is. Let me, let me examine this and kind of get a whole renewal because you may be sitting on this awesome, kind of, um, you know, oneness that you have with one another that you have not tapped into yet. And that will bring your marriage to a whole new level and also your level of emotional intimacy. Um, another factor in having a successful relationship is having a friendship. And when I say this, I don't mean that you have to be with someone who you were friends with first and then it turns into romance. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it goes straight to romance. But within that romance, there needs to be a friendship because at the end of the day, you have to think about if we're together when we're 85 years old 
and we're sitting around on a porch somewhere drinking lemonade or whatever the case may be, what are our interactions going to be like? Because you need to be able to talk to that person at 85, 95 or whatever in the same way that you did when you were 25. If, if it was all just about the attraction, if it was all just about the physical stuff, then you're not going to have much left when you're at that point in your life. And so one of the things I've loved about my marriage is that we can talk about anything. We can talk about that the deli put the wrong pickles on our sandwich, you know, just the stupid little things of the day where you just go on and on and on about stuff that happens and then to go into the deeper things. You can talk about politics. You can talk about, you know, religion. You can talk about um, the animal that you saw run across the road last night, you know, just those little types of things that a lot of times people edit that out and when they come together, they just they shut down and it just goes down, you know, back to, hi, how are you? What are you doing? You know, tomorrow, what's your schedule? It's just this quick business exchange and then that's it. And the truth is, is that that friendship is super, super important. And so a lot that really goes into being able to have emotional intimacy. And this is the thing that I think is the most missing from relationships these days People have physical intimacy going on, but they don't necessarily have emotional intimacy. And emotional intimacy is what ties together all the other types of intimacy that couples should have. And when you hear the word intimacy, a lot of times people just think about sex. They think about the physical stuff. But intimacy is a sharing with one another, a oneness with each other, um, a connectivity with each other. And it's in many, many ways. It can be in, you know, events that you do together, going out, you know, re recreational outings. It can be in the arts, you know, finding a oneness in the arts. Like there's a lot of different ways that, that we can connect and really have a good exchange. But the emotional intimacy is when you really have those conversations that go deeper than what I was just talking about, the pickles on the sandwich and all the rest. So um, that's when a couple can talk about things like their growing up years, what they went through as a child, not just the negative stuff, the positive stuff as well, sharing stories about, you know, the fun things, the the difficult things, um, the areas of their lives that they still have a lot of um, questions about. You can talk about uh, family, you know, experiences with parents and with siblings and, you know, whatever you might have gone through as a child. It's real important that you can talk to your partner about that because if you can't talk to the person that you're married or committed to about that, then there's something that's wrong there, right? Because that's the person you've chosen to be the closest one to you to talk about things like hopes and dreams. It can be very emotionally connecting when you talk about your dreams, the things that you hope for in the future. Um, I remember watching the movie dead man walking and Susan Sarandon played a nun who went in to visit a prisoner. And, um, and so when she came in, he was kind of flirting with her a little bit, you know, and she had to kind of shut that down. And then, um, you know, he would always bring up the whole thing about her not being able to kind of have sex because she was a nun and things like that. But then at one point he said, don't you, you know, miss, you know, being able to basically like have a physical relationship with men. And she said something like, there's other ways that you can be intimate with 
males and females or whatever the case may be. She said, for instance, I have a very good male friend and she said, there's nothing romantic with him, but we share about our dreams. We share about our hopes. We share about our passions. And she said that that's something that connects us as friends. And she said, it doesn't have to be something that is sexual or romantic. And that's the truth. Um, but yet in a romantic setting, it's only going to help all the other ways that people connect so it's talking about that, talking about your faith. If you real important that you in a relationship that you're on the same page with what you believe in faith wise, um, just because it's, it's going to impact so many other things in your life. It's going to impact the type of wedding that you have. It's going to impact, uh, what you do when your children are born. You know, do you, do you baptize them? Do you dedicate them? Do they go to Sunday school when they're older? Do they go to church, temple, mosque, whatever it might be? Um, you know, how do we handle death? How do we see death? Um, you know, how do we see the afterlife? Like all of those things are real important. And it, I'm not saying that you have to, but it certainly makes life a lot easier when you can talk about those types of things. And I'll tell you, when you're on the same page, in, in, you know, matters of faith, it deepens the intimacy greatly because now there is taking the concept of God or, you know, the higher power and putting it into this relationship that really works. So there are those things. Um, the other thing that really helps a relationship to grow are the crises that we go through. And I know it sounds pretty crappy because we don't really want to hear so much about crises. But crises have the ability to cause a relationship to either break up quickly and just kind of, you know, be removed, or it has the ability to deepen a relationship. When you go through a really difficult time, there's a choice. Are we going to blame one another? Are we going to, you know, point the finger? Are we going to go at each other's throats? Or are we going to come in close to one another? Are we going to rebuild together? Are we going to stay in enough proximity to one another to be able to get through this? And so there's many, many times when couples have gone through things and they have been able to recover in a better way. So now they're able to share with others that they got through that. We went through a miscarriage or we went through um, a death of a relative or we went through losing a house or getting evicted or um, unemployment or whatever it might be. And we were able to get to the other side of it and it becomes a testimony for other people. Um, but it is a reality that you're going to go through crises with um, your partner. Um, there's just no way to avoid it. It's going to happen. It's just the way that life is, but it's the difference between, okay, is it going to destroy us? Is it going to cause us to go into our own corners and be alone? Or are we going to get through this together? Because we have twice the strength when we're together to be able to get through it. But also what's important is that a lot of times, you know, people react differently to circumstances. Like for instance, when there is a crisis, some people go into flight mode, which means that they just want to kind of run from it. Other people go into fright mode, which means that they just kind of freeze and they just go into a place of fear. And other people go into fight mode and they just go at each other's throats, you know. And so not everybody uses the same one, but you have to be aware of how do I react in a crisis and how does my partner react in a crisis. And maybe we can work on 
communicating a little bit better so that we're not going to that extreme reaction. But it's sort of, you know, just kind of what we've adopted from the times in the past. Also, too, I can't emphasize this enough is forgiveness. In order to be in a successful relationship, you have to be able to forgive one another. When I say forgive, I don't mean, you know, just once. Sometimes we need to really do an inventory and we need to go backwards and we need to forgive for a lot of things that have happened, you know, a cumulative amount of really difficult things that have happened in a relationship to forgive one another for those things. But then in a marriage or a committed relationship, every day you have to choose to forgive. Every day you have the ability to kind of tick one another off in some way or to hurt one another. I'm not saying it happens every day, but every day you have that opportunity because nobody's going to trigger you or your partner more than one another because you have the ammunition to do it. You know what you can say that's going to set them off. You know all of their secrets um, and the things that they've dealt with in their lives. And for some reason, when you're in the middle of a fight, it's, it's literally like it's just right there like a script where things come out of your mouth that you never thought that you would say, but it's just a low blow. And so, you know, forgiveness is something that you just, and I'm not talking about if something is abusive and atrocious and unhealthy. There are times when that, that relationship needs to come to an end, but I'm talking about a healthy relationship that hits these patches. So I think you need to understand, we all need to understand that we change as individuals, we change. We don't stay the same as we were when we were 22. We don't look the same, but we certainly don't act the same. The same things don't make us happy. The same things don't trigger us. Um, we may have changed a in a lot of different ways, and our partner has as well. And so a lot of times the temptation is there to just say, you know, you used to be like this. Um, but the truth is, is that that's true for you as well. I used to be like this, but now I'm this way. And therefore, the relationship has to adapt. It's going to change. It's going to reshape. Um, and it's going to adjust. Um, but like I said, couples can be resilient. Humans can be resilient. We have the ability to do it, but we need the flexibility. Um, and also love. Love is just, I know it sounds like one of those things that, um, you know, sounds like a big old cliche, but the one thing I will say about love is that um, God has given us the ability to really expand love. When I had my first daughter, I, I just could not believe the manner by which I loved her. Like, I, it almost hurt to think about how much I could possibly love another human being. And then when I was pregnant with my second daughter, I thought, there's just no way. How could I possibly love another child the way that I love um, my oldest daughter? And to my surprise, my heart expanded. And that love was there to the same degree. And now I, I love my husband and I loved my daughters and my heart just kept opening, opening, opening. And it's there. It's there for those relationships. But I just want to read a sonnet um, by Shakespeare, actually, because, you know, he really got it. And this is about marriage. And I just want to read it to you. It's called Let Me Not to the Marriage of True Minds. And I'm sure it's very familiar to many of you. But it says... Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. 
Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. Oh, no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth's unknown, although his height be taken. Love's not time's fool, though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickle's compass come. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even on to the edge of doom. If this be error and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved. So the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, love basically is a very, very powerful force that can remain through all sorts of things that with all sorts of disasters and winds and tempests and every type of, um, you know, irritant that you can imagine, a really, really good relationship can sustain those things and can strengthen, not just sustain, but strengthen. And that is my hope for, for all of you, that you find and stay and remain and nurture a relationship that's going to be healthy. But in the meantime, if it's not there, then wait and value yourself enough and allow yourself the time to really be in a relationship that's going to be worth your while because I promise you it'll make all the difference in, in every aspect of your life. The person you choose to be with is probably the most important decision that you're ever going to make in your life. In collaboration with IML Productions, this has been your host, Ginger Wilk, with That Which Matters. Thank you for listening.